Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, it's great to be here this morning. It's great. It's pre-COVID that I was last here. And I said to somebody this week as I walked into the building, it feels a bit like coming home. Uh, so it is good to be here. Uh, thank you for the welcome that I've received this week. It was good to be at Going Deeper on Wednesday. Uh, that was a great evening, so it was good to be there. If you were at Going Deeper on Wednesday... I just invite you to make the links between uh, what we talk about this morning and what we talked about on Wednesday. That's just an in for those that were here on Wednesday night. Um, Father's Day, I've spoken to both of my children this morning already because it's afternoon in England. Uh, They were ringing me in the middle of the night. I told them to go away. Um, (laughs) And I'd ring them when I woke up. So uh, I've spoken to both of them. I've done my father's duties this morning and they've wished me happy Father's Day. Um, But one of the things we used to do years ago when my children were little, because they're grown up now, my son's 26 and my daughter's uh, 21, uh, so we kind of uh, don't see an awful lot of them. They've moved out and moved away. Uh, But when they were little, I need to slow down, don't I? I'll just take a... I've gone off on an express train and my accent, sometimes I'll slow down. When my children were little, you're with me now, that's good. We used to go on vacation and uh, they would sit on the back seat of the car and they'd love to play games. I don't know whether you've had children, uh, they love to play games on the back seat of the car. One of the games they would play, and my son reminded me of this fairly recently, was a game called Would You Rather? I don't know whether your children have ever played the game. Uh, There is a website. I don't encourage you to go to it. It's not the most healthy of websites. Um, But it's called Would You Rather, and they used to do this. Would you rather A or B, and you had to choose. And it got so serious on the back seat of our car that they would say, choose or die. (laughs) It was that serious. Choose or die. If you don't choose, you're done for. So I thought we'd play the game this morning. Are you up for a game of Would You Rather? Well, if you're not, it's tough, because we're going to play it, and we're we're all in this. Nobody can opt out, we're in. This is a choose or die moment. Okay, who thought that was gonna happen at eight o'clock this morning at Christchurch? So here we go, Would You Rather? Let's keep it really simple for the first one. Would you rather be Batman or Superman? There you go. That's your choice. Choose or die uh, this morning. Would you rather be A, Batman, or B, Superman? We're going to vote. Hands are going to go up. If you're online, you can tell us in the chat, I'm sure. Would you rather be Batman or Superman? Who would rather be Batman? I'm with the Batman crowd, if honest. Who'd rather be Superman? Yeah, I'm not sure about that wearing the underwear on the outside (laughs) is a great look. I'm not sure if I'd come that way this morning, you'd have greeted me in quite the same way. But Batman, of course, Batman has all the gadgets. Batman is a gadget man. I'm a guy, I love a gadget. I'm a sucker for anybody's advertising when there's a gadget. I'll be the one ringing up and buying it immediately, spending all the money I don't have for the gadget. Okay, we're in now. You know the game. Second one. Would you rather have the ability to stop time or the ability to teleport. Now, teleport, of course, is that Star Trek thing where you instantly move from one place to another. So, okay, there are the two options for you. Would you rather 
have the ability to stop time or have the ability to teleport? Who's in the stop time camp? Okay. Who's in the teleport camp? Yeah, I'm definitely in the teleport camp. I was just chatting to my friend on the front row down here. When you're somebody who travels on a long haul flight and you're not the smallest person on the planet and you're traveling coach, um, six hours in over the Atlantic, the ability to teleport would be a wonderful thing. Would be amazing. Just a, nine hours is a long time when you're not small and you're sat next to somebody else who's also not small. It gets very warm and cozy and you get to know them intimately in a nine-hour flight. Okay, third one. There is a point to this, I promise. We will get there. We're nearly there. Third one. Would you rather, A, be pecked to death by a pigeon or... Pinched to death by a crab. You're going to die anyway. In this one, it's a, it, you're dying whatever, but would you rather be pecked to death by a pigeon or pinched to death? I had to check you had pigeons here in the US before I did this. So you do have pigeons, so you know what I'm talking about. Pecked to death by a pigeon or pinched to death by a crab. Who's going pecked to death by a pigeon? Not many of you. You all prefer to be pinched to death by a crab? Who's going that? I'm, in the, I'm with the crab people. Because I think a pigeon will go straight for my eyes. And I, I don't want that. I want to be dead before it gets anywhere near my eyes. And the crab would take a long time to work its way up this, wouldn't it? So uh, I'm definitely going pinched to death by a crab. Final one. Final one. Would you rather bow before an idol or go into a fiery furnace? I'm not going to ask you to vote. Would you rather bow before an idol or go into a fiery furnace? Of course, it wasn't a game for the three guys in the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This wasn't a game. This was the reality. Um, of course, the story happens after Babylon has conquered Israel and the Babylonian king, a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, so King Nebuchadnezzar had ordered that the most promising of the young captives from Jerusalem would be brought to the palace as his personal slaves. He sent scouts out over the land. It's what we read in the first chapters of Daniel. He sent scouts out over the land. He wanted the pick of the crop of these young guys that had been brought into exile. Let's identify the best of them and let's bring them into the palace. And so some young slaves are brought to live in the palace as the personal kind of servants of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the story is about three of those young men whose names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Except that wasn't their names. That was not their names. Their names actually, their names given to them at birth, their names their mother and parents gave to them were actually Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego is actually offensive names to them. 
when people often get taken into slavery, and this, this is a story through history, we try and wipe out their story because their story is what gives them power. Their history is what empowers them. So let's get rid of their story. Let's wipe their story from the face of the earth. And Nebuchadnezzar, in in taking the folk into slavery, is trying to wipe out the story of the people of God, the God part of the story. And so the names Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are stripped from them, and they're given new names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know whether you've ever seen or watched the musical Les Miserables. You may have seen it, watched it, um, or know some of the music. But in that, of course, Jean Valjean is in slavery uh, for stealing a loaf of bread. And of course, his name is stripped away from him in that. And he's given a number instead of a name. So throughout the early part of his life, he's known as 24601 rather than the name of Jean Valjean, to keep us down. Our identity is stripped away. And so Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, it was interesting, I had to produce or or give a title for the talk, so you've got a little card on your way in. Uh, and, And the card talks about heroes of the Bible, and we're in that series of looking at some of the great heroes of Scripture. Uh, And I kind of really struggled to know what names to put on the front of the card. I gave in to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because that's the names that are often used for these three. But when you read the card through this week, if you, I don't know what you do with these cards as you leave, but just in your head, when you read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just read Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah because that honors them. That's their names. Now, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did really well in the palace. They they behaved well, they served well, and so they found their way through. They were there for three years, and then suddenly they're promoted. They're close to the king. The king liked them, and so the king used them as some of his closest aides in the palace. So they're there. They were three years working their way through. Then they get promotion. They're there for another three years. So six years Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego have been serving well in the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar. And then something happens. Nebuchadnezzar gets a bad case of deity envy. In other words, he wants to make sure that he's the boss. You're not to serve, worship, or do anything other than what I say. Don't know whether you've ever met a king or not. Uh, but they like you to do what they want. Uh, if you go onto my Facebook page, uh, you'll see my picture with the new king of England, uh, King Charles, who I've met on a few occasions. But I remember the occasion when I met the queen. Um, this is my moment just to say I met the queen. Um, <laughs> just bigging this up for you guys in the US. Nobody's bothered in England if I tell this story, but here it goes really well, so here we go. I, I remember when I met the Queen, you have to stand in line. This was a formal meeting of the Queen. I was with my local member of Parliament, our MP, our kind of key leader in the local area. She and I were meeting the Queen together, uh, so she was stood next to me in line. Uh, and you don't know, you, you're in two lines, and you don't know whether you're going to meet the Queen or the Queen's husband, Prince Philip, at that point, because we're going back about 10 years. 
And so we stood there, and, and before the Queen or Prince Philip comes down, you're given the instructions of what you have to do if you're going to meet royalty. Because you have to do everything on their terms. And so you're told what you're to call them. Um, your Royal Highness the first time, and then you can call her Ma'am the second time if she has a conversation with you, which is highly unlikely. Um, you're not to put out your hand unless she puts out her hand to you first. So don't put out your hand, wait, and she'll put out. So the Queen comes down the aisle. And the queen is coming our side, so I was really pleased. We get to meet. I wasn't bothered about meeting Prince Philip at all. Um, But I was really pleased we met the queen. She was coming down the aisle. And she got to uh, Joan, the local MP I was with. Uh, Now, Joan isn't a massive royalist, unlike me, who loves everything to do with our royal family. Joan isn't a massive royalist. She could take them or leave them, get rid of the monarchy altogether, not bothered. I don't understand her at all. Um, the queen comes to Joan now of course we've had all of these instructions on how to meet royalty and as the queen comes to Joan Joan throws her hand out at the queen inside I'm dying silently this is all terrible the queen gets to Joan she looks her up and down and moves on just completely and utterly ignores her You do what the queen says. You don't disobey the queen. So I waited nice and patient. And she put her hand out and we shook hands. And it was a lovely occasion. But it just reminded me, even with someone as sweet as the queen of England was, or the way she came across, you do what she says. King Nebuchadnezzar gets a bad case of deity envy. You do what I say. And so what Nebuchadnezzar decided to do was to build a big idol in the middle of the kind of marketplace. Build it massive, make it big. And then he says, when the music plays, when the harp and the lyre and all the string instruments, and when all the music plays, you are to bow down and worship the statue. Everyone in the land. Oh, and if you don't, there will be a consequence. You will burn. There's a little furnace over there for you, just in case you're having uh, thoughts about whether you should or you shouldn't. There's a furnace over there that has your name on it if you don't. And so the idol is built, and the music plays. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah have a dilemma. Because suddenly... The whole nation is face down on the floor, apart from three young men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What you notice is that when everybody else is face down, flat on the floor, and you're stood bolt upright, you tend to stand out. You tend to get noticed. And the king's advisors notice them. Why? Why have they not gone face down on the floor with the would you rather moment of bow before an idol or or burn in a fiery furnace? Why have they not gone face down on the floor? Well, maybe 
Just maybe there were some words ringing round their head, words you know well, I'm sure, words from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verses 7 to 9. I'll remind you of them. They read like this. You shall have no gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. They may have had their name stripped away, but their faith in God is deep-rooted. The words they've heard one of the most important things on this Father's Day to all fathers in the room and mothers of course is make sure the words of God are deep rooted in your children's heart one day they will need it this was Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah's day the words come bubbling up you shall have no gods before you I am a jealous God in this bowel burn moment we are going to stand firm course uh, the king's advisors see and word gets back to Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar considers himself to be a fair king so he invites Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in for a conversation let's just have a quick chat maybe you didn't understand the rule maybe there'd been an accent issue and you hadn't quite understood everything that had been said I'll just say it again for you, just to make sure you've got it, because this is now serious. So Nebuchadnezzar says it a bit like me when I travel abroad. As long as I say it more slowly and carefully and loudly, everyone will understand. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar does that moment. Guys, I know you come from another land. I'm saying it slowly. I'm saying it carefully. When the music starts, there really is only one option you bow or else I'm going to have to follow through with the consequences and you will burn I simply want to look in the final moments that I have at the response of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego to the king in that conversation because their response is awesome three short verses that really have so much to say to who we are and what we are about. Listen, just listen again to these verses, 16 to 18 of Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They were absolutely 100% sure they were doing the right thing. And they were willing to put everything on the line for it. They didn't just say with their mouth that they were the people of God. They said it with everything they did and every part of their being. Talk is cheap, isn't it? We can say all kinds of things. 
as we come to Christchurch on a Sunday morning, we can sing all kinds of words. We can say all kinds of words. We can make all kinds of verbal promises. We can put our hands up at the right place in worship. But what happens when following Jesus and standing for him starts to cost us something? What happens when standing firm for Jesus starts to cost us? What happens when making a stand for Jesus starts to cost friends and family? What happens when taking a stand for Jesus and for truth and integrity starts to cost you your place in the workplace or finances or community place? What happens when taking a stand for what Jesus says is right actually starts to cost? What then? What happens when you reach your bow or burn moment? Now, I'm fairly confident there's not going to be a blazing furnace in the middle of Fairview Heights this morning. I'm fairly certain you're not going to be tossed into it. But I'm also fairly certain there is at least one point in everybody's journey when it's important to stand firm for Jesus no matter what. And what happens then? What do you do then? What did you do then? We see the strength of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their response to the king. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they had to do. And they knew, actually, we're not going to defend ourselves before you, King Nebuchadnezzar, because there's no way we are going to ever convince you that we are right. You think you're right. We know we're right. We're not going to defend you. We're simply going to let play out what's going to play out. We're standing firm for the truth. Actually, as you journey forward and you get to Matthew's gospel, you find somebody else doing something very similar. You find Jesus doing something very similar. Just listen to these words in Matthew chapter 27. When he he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Jesus didn't have to convince himself he was doing the right thing. He knew he was doing the right thing. And he knew he was never going to convince Pilate. So he just stays silent. And let's play out what is going to play out. Of course, we know that to be the cross. We know that to be the forgiveness of every human heart that turns to Jesus. We know that that's the resurrection and death defeated once and for all. Jesus knew what he was doing and did not need to defend himself. He just stood firm. There are times in your life and in mine when we just need to stand and go, I know, deep in my my knower, if there's such a thing, that I'm doing the right thing because this is what Jesus asks of me. There was a time um, when Martin Luther took a stand against the Catholic Church over 500 years ago. Of course, he challenges the Catholic Church and all that it stands for. And he got the opportunity to recant, which means, of course, to, to change his mind. And he's told if he doesn't change his mind, he's going to be executed. And much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is given a second chance, these are Martin Luther's words. In that moment, this was his moment. These are what he says. These are his words. 
just over 500 years ago, knowing that he's going to face certain death, if he doesn't change his mind, say something different, he says, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. I guess that sounds a little bit like Hananiah, Mishaiah, and Azariah's response. Here we stand. We will not bow. We will not defend ourselves. We will not justify it, for we know this is what God requires of us. And so we keep reading. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, we're not going to defend ourselves, King Nebuchadnezzar. And if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Their faith in that moment is drawn from the story of the people of God. In that moment, all the stories that have been fed into Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about a God who is faithful, a God who is able, a God who can deliver, a God who can rescue, come to their mind. This is the God in whose name we now stand. And so their brain is tumbling back to all of those moments. They're tumbling back to the stories of Noah and Moses and Abraham and David and a whole host of others. They're remembering the God who has again and again and again delivered and saved his people. We know that if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to do something about it. Maybe they're recalling the words of David from Psalm 55, where we have these words. I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me. Though many oppose me, he rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me. They knew, they stood in a long line of people who had been rescued and rescued and rescued. When life was tough and when life was hard and when they come up against it, the people of God are rescued and saved again and again and again. I guess it's why we say the words, God is good and all the time. Not just in the good days, not just when it's great, but we say it when it's tough and we say it when it's hard and we say it because we know the stories of the people of God through the generations. That's why testimony is so important. That's why our stories are so important. The stories of a God who continues to rescue and save his people. That's why in a church like this, we need to be sharing our stories again and again. There are hundreds, if not thousands of stories in the life of this church of a God who continues to rescue. And I need to hear your story so that when I reach my bow or burn moment, your stories come flooding back to my mind. The stories of a God who continues to rescue and redeem and heal and restore his people. Tell your story. Because your story inspires me to stand firm when my life is tough. Your story enables me to dig deep. And when it's your moment, hear the stories of the people of God. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Stand in that moment on the shoulders of those who've gone before. And they stand with an absolute certainty if we get thrown into this blazing furnace, we believe our God is able to do something about this. Now, of course, they don't know what he's going to do, but they know that he can do something. And whatever happens, he'll rescue us from you, 
King Nebuchadnezzar. But then we get this line that is probably the most powerful line in the whole of Scripture. Powerful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. (coughs) Faced with the blazing furnace. Knowing they need to be faithful. Knowing that God can do it. Says. But even if he does not. But even if he does not. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. If this is our curtain call, if this is our end moment, if this is the end of the story for the three of us, we're going out with our heads held high. We're going out faithful. We're going out worshiping God and we're going out knowing that he will continue to deliver us into the next world. King Nebuchadnezzar, no matter what, We're not bowing to you. We are remaining faithful right to the very end. Boy, that's a powerful statement. If this is our curtain call, we are going to be faithful right to the end. And of course, what happens? We're not not defending ourselves before you. Our God is bigger than you. Even if he does not, we're going in with our heads held high. We will never bow before your idol. What does King Nebuchadnezzar do? He has no choice. He will look like a weak king in front of everybody else if he doesn't follow through on the action. And so these three young men get thrown into this blazing furnace. And it says the door is shut. I don't know what a door looks like on a blazing furnace, but the door is shut. What does King Nebuchadnezzar do at that point? What does he do? Well, if I was King Nebuchadnezzar and I'd thrown three young men into a blazing furnace... I'd go to Cracker Barrel and have breakfast. That's what I would do. Do you know I've been here all week and not managed to get to Cracker Barrel. This is a serious issue for a UK boy. We don't have something like Cracker Barrel. If I'd got three young men in a blazing furnace, I'd be in Cracker Barrel. Because what else is going to happen? Every time I've thrown people into a blazing furnace before, there's been one outcome. Ash. Nothing else. But why doesn't Nebuchadnezzar go anywhere? Because the story says he stays and he watches. Just listen, listen to what happens. Let's go back to the story. He said, Then King Nebuchadnezzar uh, leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the furnace? There is something here about Nebuchadnezzar that stays to watch what plays out. Why? Because he's seen something different in the way that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah have acted throughout all of this story. And here's the link to Wednesday night for those that were there. If not, you can go back and watch it. You know, when our lives look different, people start to notice. And people start to watch. And people start to want to know why. It's a bit like when you leave a card with your tip. If you've looked different behaved differently, spoken differently, cared differently, loved differently, stood out differently. And people take notice of that. It's where the power in your story comes from. Something had been radically different about the way Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had behaved through this difficult moment of life. They'd stood firm. 
And so Nebuchadnezzar wants to stay and watch and find out there's just something niggling away in Nebuchadnezzar that says, I, I'm not totally sure this is going to go as it normally does. Were there not three men that we threw and tossed into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, look at what I see. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. What Nebuchadnezzar does as he watches this play out, he sees the miraculous happen before his very eyes. That's what happens. As he watches the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their faithfulness to their God, Nebuchadnezzar sees the miraculous happen. Do you know what I believe? I fundamentally, 100% believe that as the people of God live out their lives in their communities, in their homes, in their families, in their workplaces with faithfulness, the world sees the miraculous happen in our lives and through us. If we're faithful, the miraculous happen in us. The miraculous happen when the diagnosis hits us. The miraculous happen when life is hard and when life is tough because we stand firm. When all the world would fall, we stand firm and we're faithful. And the world sees the miraculous. Don't you want the world to see the miraculous happen in you and in your life and in your home and in your family and in your community? Well, they will through you. If you are faithful. Whatever the world throws at you, whatever the curveballs come at you, if you're faithful. I see four men. Nebuchadnezzar then it says, as just a little few verses on in Daniel chapter three, says Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Just listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. This is the one who has the deity envy. This is the one who says, no one's going to worship anybody but me. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. As Nebuchadnezzar has watched, as Nebuchadnezzar has seen the miraculous unfold in the lives of three young men, he recognizes there is one who is greater. There is one who has a powerful name, a beautiful name, an incredible name, as the song we just sang, what a powerful name it is. He sees that. Now, I'm not saying he in that moment signs some kind of sinner's prayer or declaration of faith, but certainly something in him is now stirring and recognizes there is one. Is that what not our lives are supposed to do? Point people to the one who is greater. Point people to the one who can rescue. Point people to the only one who can save us. The only one who can offer hope to this nation and to the world. Is that what you, not what you want your life to do? Servants of the Most High God. Let me just read one passage to conclude and finish. My time is done. There's another story in Acts chapter 7. It's one of my favorite stories of scripture. It's the story of Stephen. Stephen, of course, faces his bowel burn moment in the story. He's the first Christian martyr, the first who was asked to give up his life for his faith in Jesus Christ. His, his ending is different to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. He doesn't walk out of the fire, he dies in the process. He's simply someone who's lived out his faith, shared Jesus again and again and again. And just listen to these words. 
When they heard this, that's his faith in Jesus Christ. They were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. As he's dying, he gets this glimpse of heaven. God gives him a glimpse of heaven and in it he sees the Father and Jesus at the right hand of the Father. But there's something really special about this verse. It says, as Stephen is passing away from this world into the next, he catches this glimpse of heaven and it says that Jesus is standing in heaven. Do you know this is the only recorded account anywhere of Jesus standing in heaven? Every other time it's mentioned in scripture, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. If you read the creeds, the historic creeds of the Christian church, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the only time we see Jesus standing. And it's almost as if as Stephen lays down his life in faithfulness, Jesus gets up from the throne. The king breaks all traditions, gets up from the throne to welcome Stephen home. You can almost hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be someone who gets Jesus standing because I've stood firm and I've been faithful. No matter what comes at me through this life, I want others to see Jesus in me and through me. I want my life to point to him. And I'm guessing this morning, this morning you do too. So as we pray and we're gonna use the card and the prayer that's on the card, maybe this is a moment, maybe you know you need to say to Jesus this morning, Jesus, I need my life to shine, to stand for you. Maybe you know there's someone you need to speak to, someone you need to share your story with, someone you need to share your faith with, or you just need to be better at living that out in the place that you are this morning. Make that commitment, not just with our words, but with our heart and the very depths of our being that Jesus Whatever, whenever, wherever, I'm going to stand firm for you. I want to be someone that gets you standing when it's my curtain call. Because it will come. That's the guarantee. Let's be people who get Jesus standing. Let's say this prayer together that's on the card and I hope on the screens as we say. No, we'll just use it on the card. Have the card in front of you. As we say, God, thank you for the promise to be with us in every circumstance of life. Help me to stand firm for you in the good and difficult times so that others may see the miraculous in me every day. In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.